Now, I want you to turn with me this morning in the book of 2 Kings, if you would please, in 2 Kings and chapter number 5. I want to read one verse in your hearing in this portion of Scripture this morning. I'm going to preach some things today that some of you have probably never heard anybody preach on in your lifetimes. And um, some things that are important for us to deal with and talk about from the Scriptures. And um, I don't think I overestimate what I'm about to say. Now, I... I it, it, it may be, for some of you this morning, it may be the most important message you've ever heard in your life. It may be the most important message that I've ever preached. But I think that every time that I get up to preach. Every message that I preach is the most important message I've ever preached because the one that's already gone, I can't resolve. If I didn't do well, if I messed it up, it's gone. And the one that hasn't gotten here may never yet arrive. I may never live to preach it. This may be the last message I ever preach. So for this morning, it's the most important message uh, for me. But for you that are receiving and hearing this message this morning, this may be the most important message you ever hear. Some of you who are saved here today in your Christian life, the most important thing to hear is the gospel that you may be born again. But in your Christian life, this may be the most important message you hear as a Christian to receive this message. And I would beg you this morning for a little while to lend me your ear, to give me your attention, and to hear the preaching of the word of the Lord, not me, but the word of God that we'll share with you this morning. Some, and I seldom even acknowledge this because I, it's a distraction to me when I do, but some that, will, that are faithful and regular in, in seeing our uh, live broadcasts online, some of them that will hear this preaching that I'm going to preach this morning have never heard preaching like this from anybody. And some of them will not like it, some will get upset about it, but they need it. Our world needs to hear what I'm going to preach this morning. And I would beg you for a little while to please tune in and hear the preaching of the Word of God. Don't be running in and out, running Amen. around about, and Amen. don't be playing with your phones Amen. and playing Candy Crush and whatever. The next level will still be there when Amen. the service is done. That's right. And tune in for a little while Amen. to heaven and God can help you today. But I need to share with you what's been burning in my heart. I made a quick reference to what I'm preaching about this morning about four or five weeks ago in the midst of a message on a Sunday morning. And I did not share much about it, but I want to try to preach what God's given me. I have made more detailed notes than usual. And I did that so as to try to stay specifically with my notes. I've got some things I really want to cover very particularly and meticulously, and I want to make sure that I stay with those directly. And so I'd ask you to sincerely pray for us that the Lord would help us and use us. We're reading that one verse of Scripture from Second Kings in chapter 5 and verse number 1. You can just remain seated this morning with the brief verse of Scripture that we're reading and just tune in well to the Word of the Lord. The Word of God says in Second Kings 5 and 1, Now Naaman, king or Naaman, captain of the host, of the king of Syria was a great man with his master and honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. And he was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. Captain of the host of the king of Syria, great man with his master, honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. 
I want to preach this morning for a little while if the Lord will help me on that last phrase of the verse. But he was a leper. Or you may really take away from the message this morning the concept or idea of that thing. That thing. The scripture tells us that this man Naaman was this great soldier and a mighty man, but he was a leper. Now what was said of Naaman this morning in our text verses, or in our text verse, Syrian soldier, officer, may also well be said of many believers, many persons who try to serve the Lord. If you read this this morning not knowing of whom it spoke, you may well have believed this was a great soldier of the cross. The Bible said he was a captain, a leader of others. He was a great man with his master. Many stood tall before others. And even before God, many are those who have served the Lord and stood before others and been an example in many areas of their lives. The Bible says of Naaman that he was honorable. He had integrity, honesty. He was a man of his word. He treated others right. These things may well have also be said and could be said of many in the building here today and of some who I have known in my lifetime. I desire for these things to be able to be said of me in my life. The Bible says by him God gave deliverance. Many men of deliverance are they who also need deliverance themselves. Naaman had given deliverance unto others, but he was a leper. He needed deliverance from that thing himself, even though he had given deliverance to others. He was a mighty man of valor, strong, brave, and he defeated every foe that he faced except one, and that thing was in his life that he could not defeat. There was one thing. He was a leper. This great man was an example unto all around him, but leprosy was destroying him. I'll come back to Naaman at some point in the message, I hope, if I keep myself together to remember to do so. But I want to talk about this morning that issue. He was a leper. That thing I recently heard of an African missionary years ago who had gone into a remote village to share the gospel. And while he was there in the village, there was a precious couple who seemed to have every child in town drawn to them. They loved these children, took a great deal of joy in them. The missionary commented to one of the villagers there, what a precious family this was. But the local man informed him, informed this missionary, that these were not this couple's children. They had no children. They could have no children. They took joy in the children of others, but they could have no children for themselves. It seemed sad the missionary inquired if there was something amiss, why such a sweet couple could have no children. The villager responded, all we know is that the people of the village called their problem that thing. They don't know what's wrong with them. They just say it is that thing that has hindered them from being able to have children of their own. Naaman was a great man himself, but there was that thing that was in his life. It was only one thing, but that's not all that unusual. There's a rich young ruler that comes to Jesus one day and tells the Lord how that he had done all these great things, kept all the commandments, had done all these wonderful works, and yet Jesus said, yet one thing thou lackest. 
It was keeping him, that thing in Naaman's life, was keeping him from being productive as he could be. It was slowly but surely stealing his life away. It was the one enemy, the one foe that he could not conquer. People across the building today who are born again, who are trying to live for Jesus, who are trying to walk with God, who do desire to be a blessing to others, are still like Naaman and they have conquered other foes. But that thing is conquering you. That thing is haunting you in your life. Satan, my friend, will examine you. He will uh, he will seek you out. He will look for a place of weakness and he will find it. Hey, you may have defeated him in every other area of life, but he will press in your life with that thing. All sin, all sin is hideous. It is wicked, dirty, dastardly, destructive. But the deadliest of all is that thing that haunts you. Your thing, your your leprosy, your problem will be different maybe than some per other persons. That thing that trails you and haunts you and troubles you and keeps you up at night will be different than someone else's. But the most deadly sin in your life will be that thing that chases you down. Oh, hear me this morning. For name and it was leprosy. But for you, that thing may be one of a various number of things. You may say to yourself this morning, sitting there in smugness, that that thing, those people with that thing, are hypocrites, preacher. If they've got that thing, surely they're disingenuous. Surely they are hypocrites or they'd get victory over that thing. But I'm going to tell you, that's not the way that it always is. Matter of fact, I have come to believe, and some of you may or may not go down this trail of thought with me, but I have come to believe that there are really very few hypocrites in the church. Very few true hypocrites in the church. A real hypocrite is a person who intentionally comes to church, intentionally hiding behind a cloak of religion, seeking to deceive, intending to lie, caring nothing but to use religion as a weapon for their own gain. And I don't think there's a lot of people really like that in church. I think most are people who are accused of hypocrisy are more like the man in our passage of Scripture this morning. They're more like Naaman. They have good intentions. They may be doing well in many areas of their lives. Have they have a, a, an intent or a desire to be a blessing and a deliverer unto others? Have they uh, want to stand tall before God and before men? Have they have a zeal to serve and to be a blessing? But they have a thing in their lives. They have a leprosy. They have something that haunts them that just will not let go. It's like leprosy. It's gotten under their skin. It follows them around. They have so desire to have victory over it, and yet they still cannot seem to shake that thing that chases them down. Anybody in the building this morning who will be honest with themselves relates to what I'm preaching about because you also have something like this thing that has troubled you over the years. Maybe you've not been honest with yourself about what it is. After 30 years 
years of knowing the Lord, I've got a pretty good idea what the thing is or what the things are. Likely could not nail them down to just one. My friend Naaman was doing pretty good. He just had one thing. And I have, my friend, a list of them. Amen. Hey, but I have a pretty good idea at this point in my life what those things are that I have to watch as Paul said and keep my body under subjection lest after I myself have preached to others should become a castaway. Here you are this morning if you're saved by the grace of God trying to live for the Lord with a desire to please the Master, serve the Lord and be a blessing to others. That thing is hindering you greatly and it will destroy you if you don't get help that can only come from God. Now this morning I'm really only going to mention three simple things. But then a few things about those things here today. I want to talk about that thing in our world we're living in. It's not necessarily leprosy. Naaman's thing was leprosy. But that thing in our world that we are living in are the sins of the flesh. The sins of the flesh. Leprosy was of the skin. It was of the flesh. It was manifest on the outward man. You could see it with the eye. That thing that was in the life of Naaman. I'm going to tell you that thing in our world. It may be a drunkenness or drinking. How many are those who sit on the church pew on Sunday but they sip on the bottle when church is not there. There's a bottle in the back of their refrigerator and they're sipping, sipping secretly on the side and they know that if this drinking, this alcoholism, this drunkenness is condemned in the scripture but it is that thing that they cannot seem to defeat. I never thought this would be an issue in the church world but drugs are a problem amongst church people now. I mean it's a serious problem. My friend, a young man who's out of church now, he's living a very sinful lifestyle, had told me the reason why people at church have so much trouble listening and paying attention and coming to church and living for God and actually getting into the church service. He said, Brother Toby, the reason why that they can't hear the preaching, they're not touched by the singing and they're not moved by the altar call and they're not stirred by the hymns is because they are numbed with drugs. He said, we got so many people in the church that are zonked out like zombies that God cannot deal with their hearts. And this from a young man right now who grew up in church but is out far in the world and I'm afraid he's more right than what I want to admit today. That thing has taken many of people's lives. Listen to me, you'll never be. I don't care if you are or I want to choose carefully my words. It matters not this morning if you are attempting to be a blessing to others serve God do what's right you cannot do those things and serve the Lord and do what you really need to do and smoke a little marijuana on Friday night and drink a little cold duck and my friend have a little bit of have a little bit of Bartles and James and have wine coolers in your refrigerator and my friend you can't do that and walk with God where you need to be you can't be a Christian the way God wants you to me and my friend and also to talk about whether it tastes great or have less feeling in your life and you cannot live my friend the low life of the world with sin and wickedness and my friend with drugs and alcohol and still walk with God that thing is hindering you from being where you ought to be with God 
the sins of the flesh. I hate to even mention what I'm about to mention here this morning, but I must. When I was a boy, you didn't have to preach on what I'm about to preach on. Everybody knew it was wrong, sinful, and you ought to quit it. But in our day, people don't seem to know anything. They seem to think that everything is all right. But sensual sins, sins of carnality, sins of the flesh, sins of impurity of the flesh, it is the sin of the hour of the epistle. And somebody said, oh, save folks, church people. Hey, you don't have to say anything about that to them. I was told that at the first church that I pastored by some who believed what I believed. They just didn't want me to say anything about anything. They said there's no need for us to mention it. That doesn't go on around here, they told me. That doesn't go on in the church world. But we've come to a day where sins of the flesh and carnality and lust have crept into the church and taken an absolute toehold in the church world. And this is not a new phenomenon. The entire epistle of 1 Corinthians was written to deal with sins of the flesh. In that church of Corinth, there was a man who had taken a relative's wife to commit fornication with him. And the two of them lived in sinful and ungodly fornication and adultery. And Paul said this was worse than the lewd fornication that was even committed among the unbelievers. Now I'm going to say something that I don't even like to say. It embarrasses the fire out of me to even have to preach like this. Those of you who know me personally know I don't talk about stuff like this. I don't think it's the way people ought to talk all the time. I don't think it's what ought to be on people's minds all the time. But I've got to explain something to you this morning. We use scriptural terms. I use scriptural terms. Adultery, fornication, lasciviousness, lewdness, lust, uncleanness. But the world has no idea what I'm even talking about. The average young person in church don't even know what those words mean. Some of you sitting here this morning not real sure how to divide out what each one is. Adultery is when you leave your marital vows and go after someone else. Fornication, my friend, is impure connection between persons prior to the receiving or taking of marital vows. I'm telling you it's not alright for you and your boyfriend, you and your girlfriend, you and some other person randomly to engage in physical activity between you. It is not right. It's against God and the Bible and the Scripture says when you act in such a manner, you sin against your own flesh. It is ungodly. It is wicked. I know the world says just sack up together, live together, test drive the car before you buy it. Yep, that'd be alright if you were buying a car that your wife or your husband is not an automobile. And they're a person and God will tell you which person you ought to marry. It ought to be taken by prayer and by fasting and by seeking God, not by test driving. Amen. My friend, and don't expect to test drive and to live in sin and to do those things and then think God's going to bless a marital union born out of that sin and wickedness. I tell you what you ought to do if you're in that mess this morning with that thing in your life. You ought to get somewhere where God repent of your sin. Ask the Lord to have mercy on your life and then pray that the Lord would work in you and He'll have mercy and give you victory when you repent of what's in your life. 
Amen. First Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 3. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. Oh, he told the church in Corinth that it was good for a man not to touch a woman. But this is the raging sin of our time. Adultery, stealing another man's wife, is just as wrong as stealing his car or stealing his money. My friend, homosexuality, bestiality, incest, also sorts of sickening acts are manifest in our time. And hear me, people who act in such things are not just, uh, they're not living a gay lifestyle. They're living in perversion. They're living in sinfulness, ungodliness. It is outside the will of God. It is an abomination unto God. The language that I'm using right now is about as strong as I know how to preach it without saying things I should not say in this company. Now, I've been graceful, and I try to be graceful. I don't like this crowd that does the pulpit cussing. That upsets me. But you need to know the truth of the word of the Lord this morning. This stuff is an abomination unto God. Listen to me here today. Men's minds are so corrupted in this generation that they don't even understand healthy relationships between men and women. And it's not just men's minds. When I say men's minds, I mean humanity's mind. The minds of men and women have become so corrupted that they don't understand healthy relationships between men and women and what it is for a man to love his wife even as he loves his own body and for a wife to so show reverence under her husband and respect him because of the godly fear and love that resides in her heart for him. Pornographic images and videos have programmed and sickened the minds of men and women and it's manifested in unhealthy relationships and these sins of the flesh are that thing that are killing many. Nakedness abounds in our generation at a time like no other in the United States of America's history. Nudity, immodesty, immodesty in our dress, our speech, and our attitudes is that thing for many people. Some attend church today dressed in a way that would have gotten you thrown out of the supermarket 50 years ago. And today they go to church like that. Amen. Oh, my granddaddy used to say when I was a boy, he was my pastor. My granddaddy said there will come a time if I live long enough that people will walk down the street with no more clothes on just a billfold in their hand. And we've almost come to see that time. And we've come to see a time where most preachers say nothing about it. Right. Where they don't preach on it. But the first sin that Adam and Eve realized they were guilty of after they ate of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And they were naked. And they were ashamed. And we are more worse off than Adam and Eve in the fallen estate in the Garden of Eden. Because people today are naked and they're not even ashamed. They're naked and they're not even concerned. And they're not even looking for fig leaves to cover themselves. But they want to express themselves through their nakedness. The fact that there is any such thing on planet earth as a nudist colony is an embarrassment to humanity. Amen. The fact that you can go my friend into town. That you can walk down the sidewalks of this country and see more nakedness than what you find on HBO. 
is an embarrassment to our nation and to our land and the fact that many of those people you see walking down our streets that way and down our beaches and down our towns and through our Walmarts in that shape or on somebody's church roll and claim to be a Christian and claim to be saved it is an embarrassment to the church world Amen that thing that thing sins of the flesh in our world it's not leprosy it's sins of the mind that thing for some is the sinful working of the mind it is evil thinking some of you this morning I love you and you love me but you don't think right you've got an evil thought process you always think the worst of everybody you always think the, think the worst of everything you always think the worst of every situation and you never give anybody the benefit of the doubt if you see something that does not add up that does not look just right how your mind immediately jumps to all the wrong conclusions how you immediately think the worst of everything and everybody else evil thinking that thing is a sin of your mind evil thinking mistrust a judgmental spirit a critical spirit some of y'all suffering from that right now amen Amen. A critical spirit. Uh, he ought not to preach like that. If I was the preacher, I wouldn't preach like that. That's why God called me to preach. Because He wanted me to preach like this and you, you wouldn't do it. Amen. That's exactly right. A critical spirit. May the Lord have mercy on us this morning. Uh, my friend, your sin of the mind is covetousness. You want something somebody else has got so bad you can't stand it. A rebellion, which the Bible says, is that unto the sin of witchcraft and these are all sins of the mind I worked with a man years ago that used to call this stinking thinking amen stinking thinking he said I'll tell you we don't need nobody around here with stinking thinking we're going to talk right we're going to think right we're going to act right we're going to get our minds right this is a man that don't even know God I'm going to tell you in the church world we need to get our minds right have a renewing of our mind I stop having so much stinking thinking in our lives is destroying people. It is that thing that eats many of people's lives up. Need God to help us think right. Amen. What's not in my notes, and I'm trying to stay with them and not get too far away. I purposefully have preached on what I preached on this morning. Some of you, you think wrong about yourself. You think about yourself like Piglet on, on uh, Winnie the Pooh. You're scared of your own shadow. You're afraid of everything. This fear is stinking thinking. You see yourself like a mouse. You can't get victory. You th you're all the way, all the time down like Eeyore and afraid like Piglet. And you're never bouncing around like Tigger. You got stinking thinking in your life. You're depressed and torn up all the time. And I am not making light of people who have clinical problems. But I'm telling you, much of what's wrong with us in our generation is not clinical. It is mental. And I don't mean sicknesses of the mind. I mean sins of the mind. And we need God to help us think right this morning. Amen. 
Amen. Romans chapter 12 tells us that we need a renewal of the mind. By the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the acceptable, good, and acceptable and perfect will of God. We need God to help us think right. Fallen man does not think right. And saved men need God to help us think right while we are in the flesh for the carnal mind does not. Romans chapter 8 verse 6 says for to be carnally minded is death but to be spiritually minded is life and peace because the carnal mind is enmity against God for it is not subject to the law of God neither indeed can it be. You need to get your mind right and stop with the stinking thinking. Some of you are just waiting for the next thing to fall apart in your life. You know what's going to happen. You are dead dog certain whatever's going right right now is going to go wrong sure as the world. And you're just waiting for it to happen. When it happens, you're going to tell everybody around you, I told you so. What do you want to be defeated? Are you looking to be destroyed? Have you forgotten that our God is the uh, God of the universe that He sits upon His throne and that we are His children created in His image and His likeness and if you're born again, my friend, we have His power. That same power that raised up Jesus from the dead abides in us. And my friend, we ought to get our minds on those things and begin thinking in victory and marching in victory and thinking like winners, acting like winners and living like winners because we are Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6 be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your request be made known unto God and the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus finally my brethren whatsoever things are true whatsoever things are honest whatsoever things are just whatsoever things are pure whatsoever things are lovely whatsoever things are of good report if there be any virtue if there be any praise think on these things no stinking thinking. Sins of the mind, sins of the flesh. And see, that thing in our world is the sins of the heart. When this is that thing that plagues you is the sin of the heart, it is the most likely thing to be hidden, but it's just as deadly. This is sins like jealousy that's as cruel as the grave. Malice and hatred and strife and bitterness. That is the only sin where the root is bitterness. The root of bitterness springing up in your life. And pride, a sin of the heart. It's hidden, my friend. But God says it goes before destruction. And the Holy Spirit before a fall. These are sins like lust. And lust when it's conceived bringing forth sin. Sin when it's finished bringing forth death. It is greed or the love of money which is the root of all evil. It is selfishness and anger and vengeance. These sins of the heart for many, they are that thing that is in their lives. Those of you who have survived the first point this morning, that thing in our world, sins, the flesh, the mind, and of the heart. Did you realize this morning while we're sitting here and thinking, wow, those people Brother Toby's preaching about today must really be sorry. They must really be that crowd that God's ashamed of. Glad I'm not in that number. Pride is maybe your problem. And let me introduce you to some people who had that thing in their lives. 
Some people from the Bible, not only the man in our text, you say, but he was a Gentile, and so we'll discount him. All right, let's introduce you to some of our greatest heroes of renown. They were not exempt from dealing with that thing. The Word records these things in our Bible heroes for our learning that we may know how to get victory. Naaman found it took a miracle of God, my friend, the Lord's mercy, to wash away the scourge of that thing from his life. He dipped in the river Jordan seven times at the word of the Lord and God made him clean. It'll take a miracle of God in your life my friend to get you victory over that thing. It's a man by the name of Isaiah and none of us wants to throw rocks at him. My friend for being dirty and filthy and for my friend being anything less than what God wanted him to be. But we find in Isaiah chapter 6 though he was a preacher that he had a dirty mouth. That thing was in his life. He said, woe is me in chapter 6 of Isaiah verse 5. For I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwelt amongst a people of unclean lips. He is the most prominent prophet in the Old Old Testament literature. He prophesied more about the first and second coming of Christ than any other. He told us more of the millennial reign than any other prophet. And he was five chapters deep in his preaching before he got victory over his dirty mouth. I'm telling you, friend, that thing that does not exempt preachers and deacons and Sunday school teachers and choir directors and preachers' wives and sweet little ladies in the church, how young people or old people are not exempt from that thing. Isaiah had a dirty mouth. Job had a problem with pride. He said, but the Lord said he has a perfect right, perfect man upright before the Lord, eschewed evil. You're right. But Job's pride stopped him from praying for his friends. First of the book, the Bible said that he was perfect and upright before the Lord, feared God and eschewed evil. But then when his friends showed up, he became indignant. He even began to call out the Lord. He never lost his integrity. He never went off the rails. He never became filthy as they had told him he was. He was not guilty of what they accused him of doing. My friend, he maintained his integrity through his trials, but he could not get ultimate victory over his calamities until he humbled himself and prayed for his friends who had wronged accused him. God turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends, Job 42 and 10. That thing. Simon Peter, that Brother John talked about this morning in Sunday school, that great fisherman, he was double-minded. He was like a reed shaken in the wind. That's what the name Simon means is a reed. The name Peter means a rock. The Lord, when he got done, he took a wavering man wobbling on the axle. Reed shaken in the wind. That was the thing in his life. One moment he was willing to fight and die, but the next he was denying Christ. That thing in his life was inconsistency. Even after he became a preacher at Pentecost, even after he saw the sheet and the vision coming down from heaven, even after he preached to the Gentiles at Cornelius' house, Paul had to oppose him to Peter's face for his inconsistency and standing up for Christ and the gospel to save those the Jews did not like. That thing was always a battle for Peter. You think those people with that thing must be horrible sinners? You know, like Isaiah, Job, and Simon Peter. I'd like to be counted in the number with Isaiah, Job, and Simon Peter. I don't know about you. Samson, 
Strongest man in the world. Lost his life to lust. He was spirit filled. We talk about Samson like he's a failure. Samson was not a failure. Samson was a victor. But he was also a victim of that thing. Spirit filled, mighty, respected. But his eye for women led him to break his vows to God. Had that thing left him blind and bound. Had a boy leading him about as a child. He got victory over that thing as he prayed beside those pillars of the temple. Had my friend of the false God. Had God avenged him of his adversaries. But it was not until his dying day that he got victory over that thing. And that thing still caused him to die with his enemy. David, the sweet psalmist of Israel. The man the Bible says is a man after God's own heart. Paid a price fourfold for that thing that was in his life. He wrote more than 50 of the psalms in the Bible. David is the first human name. David, some of y'all maybe never heard this. David is the first human name mentioned in the New Testament. It is the last human name mentioned in the New Testament. What about that? David, and I'm talking about a man who committed adultery. A man who committed murder. Jesus was called the son of David. But God brought that thing that David had done out into the open. His verdict spelled out for others to pay fourfold but it came back unto him again he became the song of the drunkards adultery and murder were exposed David and Bathsheba had wallowed in their sin and the whole nation was plunged into disarray while their baby was laying down that thing had come home to roost in his life how about the man for whom the whole nation of Israel is named Jacob be hard to make an argument early in his life that Jacob was a better man than Esau. It'd be hard to make that argument. Hard. Jacob was a deceiver. Almost destroyed him. He found that thing. He found that thing. And it ran. And he ran from God. And he was ashamed of that thing. And he fought that thing. But he finally faced it at the river Jabbok. He confessed it before God. When the Lord asked him, What is your name? He said, Jacob, Jacob, a deceiver, a heel snatcher, a supplanter, one who causes others to stumble, a trickster, oh, a liar. He confessed that thing before God. As he wrestled with him all night long And as the day broke He cried out to God And said I will not let you go Until you bless me And God gave him victory Over that thing in his life You'll no longer be called A trickster A swindler A heel snatcher My friend a deceiver You'll be called Israel A prince Blessed of the Lord Why? Because he wrestled with God and got victory over that thing in his life. How about Joshua? Not the one you're thinking about. Joshua the high priest. The one who lived in the days of Haggai and Zechariah. The Bible says he was filthy before God. 
what the book of Zechariah said. But God took away his filthy clothes and gave him clean garments to wear. Oh, I'm telling you this morning, as the Holy Spirit has worked with your heart and put his finger on that thing in your life, I have good news to bring. My friend, God can give you victory. He can take away the dirty garments that cause you right now to stand before God and realize your life is not what it could be and should be for the Lord and cause you to be clean and right before Him. He can give you victory over that thing if you don't wait too late. That thing in our world, that thing in the heroes of the Word. Now, I'll not make personal examples of that thing. I seek not to point out anybody, not myself or anyone else. But that thing I find in biblical disasters. And in every case, it's simply because people waited too long to deal with that thing in their lives. In every case, that thing became destruction and disaster. The Bible is because people waited too long to deal with it. The Lord will help you, but you can't wait too long to seek His help. One man said that most prodigals do come back home, but many of them don't live long enough. Don't wait too long. Don't wait until that thing catches up with you, overcomes you, destroys you. You'll never know the fullness God intends for you with that thing in your life. Like those in our story earlier, on in the message. You'll only live on the offspring of others. And my friend, hey, yep, but God wants to give you victory over that thing in your life. Amen. Revelation chapter number 2 and verse 20. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants, to, to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed to idols. But look what God said about her. And I gave her space to repent. I gave her an opportunity to repent of her fornication. And she repented not. She waited too late. God gave her opportunity. He said, Behold, I'll cast her into a bed and them to commit adultery with her in the great tribulation. Except they repent of their deeds. He gave them all space to repent. But they waited too late. Those who are following her ways had opportunity to repent, but it won't last forever. You're here this morning, alive and breathing, hearing the message. And now's the time to repent of your sin and get it right with God. Amen. Right about now, I'm not getting whole lots of amens, but I've got some eyeballs on me, so somebody's listening. Achan! Old Testament man, Achan! The book of Joshua. We preach about it most of the time as if his whole life were a failure. But that is not so. Achan was a soldier. He was a man of war. He was delivered from Egypt. He crossed the Red Sea. He saw manna in heaven, uh, from heaven in the wilderness. He saw a rock turned to a water fountain. He, my friend, survived the 40 years in the wilderness and did not die because of unbelief. He got victory there in Jericho, across the fallen walls of that city. But that thing came in his life. 
He took the accursed thing from Jericho, wedges of gold and silver, Babylonian garments, and buried it in his tent. And his sin brought death to Israel and Ai, and a stoning to his entire family. He wept and was filled with remorse afterward. But it was too late to deal with that thing that was in him. Esau cried with bitter cries, but he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears, according to Hebrews 12 and 17. He sinned, he played the fool, he despised his birthright. God rejected him and he repented too late for victory. This morning preaching what I'm preaching, I'd be remiss not to mention Judas Iscariot. Walked with Jesus two and a half years. Every miracle Jesus did, he witnessed it with his own eyes. Saw people raised from the dead. 5,000 fed with five loaves and two fishes. Walking on water, Judas was there. How my friend, the drought of fishes. Brother John talked about in Sunday school this morning. Judas saw these saints. He witnessed them. He was there to see the miracles of the Lord Jesus. He saw the man with a withered hand made whole. Lame to walk, blinded eyes to see. Oh, my friend, yet he kissed the door of heaven. How my friend, and betrayed had the Lord Jesus and he even regretted his deeds but it was too late he had betrayed innocent blood and he waited too late to repent and he hanged himself and his gut busted open and his bowels poured forth onto the ground and the place where he died became a graveyard of loneliness and a potter's field hear me that thing destroyed him because he waited too late to repent he dipped his dip in the sop with the Lord Jesus. That's how personal, how intimate. I'm at church this morning, preacher. I see you. But you see that thing in your life. Dipping a sop in this morning is not going to fix it. It didn't fix it for Judas. It won't fix it for you. You're going to have to lay your head on Jesus' breast. You're going to have to hear the heartbeat of God. You're going to have to get at Jesus' feet. Amen. Some of you this morning are devoured with jealousy. You're eaten up with some sort of bitterness. You can't worship. You can't give. You can't pray. It's splitting a wedge between you and your wife, you and your husband. It's causing division between you and your children. Your brothers and sisters that won't talk to one another. There are those who cannot even get their minds clear to the cobwebs of that thing. God wants to give you victory this morning and let you defeat that thing before that thing defeats you. That thing seems like a monster in your life. You've wrestled and battled and tried to hide it. Tried to overcome it in your strength. But you feel like a failure. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you had not been in the places where I have. Been a lot of days I've come before God and felt like I was not a half inch tall. Tell the Lord I ought to be a better Christian than what I am. Tell Him I ought to be a better servant of the Lord than what I am. Tell Him everything the devil's told me about myself. Amen. Amen. Yes. You think this morning you're doomed to certain defeat? I'm just going to have to learn to live with it. 
But that is not so. Amen. There is help for you in Jesus Christ. Yes. And in Jesus alone. 1 John 4 and 4. Greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. Romans 8, 37, nay, and all these things. We are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. 1 John 5 and 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is He that overcometh the world? But He that believeth in Jesus is the Son of God. I do not believe our church is filled with hypocrites this morning. I think we are filled up with Naaman's. Men who want to do well deserve to do well serve their master but there is just a thing in your life and you can have victory I may not be much this morning but I want to be like that little girl in our text that I didn't read about who said oh I would to God this man Naaman could just get to where the Lord is there's a man of God back home he can tell him how to get to Jesus he can tell him how to get help he can tell him how to get victory I'm trying to tell you this morning how you do not have to live with put up with accept tolerate a wallow in that thing that's eating you up and preach what I'm preaching today to make you feel sorry and low down and low about that thing but that you might be lifted up and rise above the shadows that he might put your feet on higher ground Amen. hallelujah I'm finished preaching coming with a song today I've tried to be as direct and brief as what I can I want to finish with a story I heard an older minister tell many years ago Not certain if he's alive today. I think he is. Many years ago, this minister, just a young preacher boy, not even 20 years old, newly married, living in a little house trailer, 12 by 50, 10 can. Satan had told him he was a failure. You'll die a failure. You can't live for God and nothing will come of your life. You and your family are not going to make it. You'll not have adequate finances. There's no way you can be the preacher God wants you to be. You won't even live to be an old man. He did. You won't even live to be an old man. You're going to die in the shape you're in. He struggled with that so much, that spirit of defeat, that spirit of despair, that thing of the mind, Finally in exhaustion, hadn't slept 72 hours. Laid down in the bed and went to sleep. And it haunted his dreams, that thing. He never would say that his dream was from the Lord, but that the Lord used it. So he was sleeping and wrestling with that thing in his mind, on his bed. In his dream, he saw himself in a house. He seemed like every door was huge and he was small. The ceilings were high. The walls were great. And yet he said, I felt like a mouse in this home so small. And he said, there was a giant monster that opened the door in the room where I was and came in. And he said, I couldn't describe him totally. He said, it's like he was a bear, but somehow or another he had a face like a man. Said it's the most frightening thing I'd ever seen in my life. It's a dream. It's 
not reality. It's just where your mind goes when you're asleep. Some of you have been like me. You've been in those times at night where your nightmares haunted you. Wrestling with that thing in your life. He said that, that monster comes into the room where he is. And he said everything the devil had been telling me. And every lie he had been using to defeat me. That monster began screaming at me. He says you're a failure. You're a nobody. You can't serve God. You'll die in the shape you're in. You'll never be the preacher God wants you to be. Your family will never make it. Your star sure is the world. Said the longer that monster screamed at me, the smaller I got, the bigger he got. The more I sank in the corner, the more I wept. And he said, I tried to cry out. I tried to tell him to leave. I tried to tell him he was not welcome. And he said, I was screaming to the top of my lungs. But not even a squeak was coming out of my mouth. I was powerless, it seemed, to deal with this monster in my life. And he said, finally, I stopped telling that monster what I wanted him to do. And he said, I know what I've got to do. And he said, I bowed my little head. And he said, with a whisper, I began to speak, Jesus, help me. And he said, in my dream, it was the sound like Niagara Falls. It was the sound of many waters. And he said, the more times I said, Jesus, help me, the louder that it got. And he said, the more times I said, Jesus, help me, the more the monster backed away and the greater that I began to grow. And he said, my problem got smaller and I got stronger. And I continued to say, Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me. And he woke up in the midst of that sweat. And my friend from the top of his head to his toes, I crawled out of the bed and continued to pray, oh God, Jesus, help me. And listen to me this morning. Some of you are dealing with monsters in your life. And the answer is not for you to do better. The answer is not for you to try harder. The answer is not for you to rise up. You don't have enough to defeat that thing. The answer is for you to find yourself a place in this altar. And say, Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me. And greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You get victory over that thing, everybody stand. I've preached exactly what the Lord's put on my heart for this message. I cannot fathom knowing the problems I've had with more than one of that thing. I cannot fathom that there's not people this morning that don't need to pray sincerely and earnestly about their heart and where you stand with God. And I beg you to come. Sing for us when you're ready, sister. If you've never been saved, now be the time to get saved. Now be the time to get your heart turned over to God. That thing that's kept you from being born again, give it to the Lord. That thing that's kept you from walking with God as you should, give it to the Lord. That thing that's caused you many a times to bow before God, shame, and ask the Lord for mercy, give it to the Lord. That thing that's caused you much worry, anguish, frustration, heartbreak. Oh, you can Is get there the something in your heart 
between you and the Lord. David was a great man, Are you but he was a apart, not as close as before. He was well, there's a nothing you can do that he will not do. Now watch forbid. how that pain in your life will take you over. to the cross. Let It'll it die so you can you live. You will never to the cross. That's got you bound and bound. A spirit of unforgiveness. for strength. Do you Everybody's thing is not the same, but your thing. Don't take another step. Just kneel wide where you stand. Lay it at the cross take and the take a hammer in your hand. Come on, get you some help now. on it, but when Naaman got the help from that God for that thing in his life, you know where he got it? Junior, he got it at the Jordan River. Jordan is death. You have to die out to self, to selfish desires, to sin and Satan. 
When you do, God can put death to that thing. If you'll die to who you are and what you want and let God thrive in your life, God can put that thing to death. Live alive and vibrant your life. Hallelujah. That's a whole other sermon. I can't preach on that thing and the resurrection from it in the same message. I hope somebody will remember what I preached on this morning. Sounds like something from a horror movie. But I assure you, Wes Craven or anybody else in Hollywood had never come up with nothing scary as what this is. Yes. Not if you'll really understand where it could be in your life. That's right. Let's bow our heads this morning and pray.